everybody. How y'all doing? I'm Michael. I'm joined by Alex, as always. How's it going? And this is Fall Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. And this is part two of three of our series about Ubisoft's Far Cry, a series that started out with the first game being about a drunken boat captain who does all the crimes and then discovers evil mutants. And then the game got remade, and instead he had primal powers. And then it had a sequel that was about the primal powers going crazy, and then that game got remade into something else entirely. It's a series that is kind of a mess, but now we're yeah. going to finally be moving on to the sequel, Alex. We're finally going to be talking about Far Cry 2, five oh, games yay. in. Oh, good. But before we get into that, Alex, um, mm-hmm. just wanted to kind of want to touch base with you real quickly about uh, something completely unrelated to video games, but uh, okay. how... Uh, how you feeling about the death of uh, everyone's favorite beloved comic strip, Funky Winkerman? I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, it's great. It's it's a comic strip about cancer and how everyone gets it and everyone dies and it's very depressing. Cool. It, st- it used to start out with like about a high school with robots and then eventually everyone started dying. It's wonderful. Anyways, sure. (laughs) Oh, long, long running. I assume this was a web comic. Oh, no, this is a newspaper comic strip. That's been it's existed for 50 years. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, this is a this is a longstanding piece of culture that has completely missed my radar. (laughs) Clearly, yes, I I am perhaps a little too into newspaper comic strips. Mm. So uh, I'm well aware of the trials and tribulations of Funky Winkerbean, a series that once involved a weird ghost that was also a pizza monster, and then later involved the gym teacher killing himself because he had CTE. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's a, there's, a, there's a kind of a total whiplash that constantly happens in that series that's also incredibly tone deaf. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because we're going to be talking about maybe the most tone deaf stretch of video games that Ubisoft has ever put out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, the 2000s were a time for video games. Oh, they certainly were. They certainly were. And boy, are they going to get very ambitious with the stories of Far Cry 2 and 3 specifically. Mm-hmm. But boy, are they going to make some decisions and have some plot beats that are going to leave you shaking your head. <laughs> yeah, Ubisoft just in general, especially from this point on, is often going to attempt some really serious stories in their games, but not necessarily have the writing staff to pull them off properly. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is weird to see from like Far Cry Two that, or like the, like an idea of like how to like direct a scene. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, and eventually they're going to get better about this. It's going to get better and mm-hmm. it's going to get stupid in far different ways but yeah starting with far cry 2 it how they're going to go about it is going to be at the very least interesting so far cry 2 came out in 2008 four years after the original far cry and i believe two years after far cry vengeance uh far cry vengeance of course being the we remake of far cry evolution col- no far cry instincts colon evolution 
uh, which uh, basically finished up the story of good old Jack Carver, everyone's favorite drunken boat captain with feral powers. Now, I don't know how well that game did, Alex. I, I looked on VG Charts, the, mm-hmm. everyone's favorite unreliable uh, website for sales of video games, and it said it only sold 80,000 copies, which I think is probably incorrect. Yeah, that seems kind of low. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm going to take a wild guess that it just didn't quite do super hot. Probably not. And so it's seemed like at Ubisoft, they decided that they really needed to redo what even Far Cry was. And they finally decided to make a true sequel. Far Cry 2, a game that has nothing to do with Far Cry. (laughs) And yet from which would establish the template of what Far Cry would eventually become. It's it's such a weird thing because like it has essentially Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the original series. But then every other game past this is going to be basically referencing Far Cry 2 in some way. Yeah. It's wild. It is. Alex, uh, last time we talked, it seemed like you had a little bit of experience with Far Cry 2. I did, yeah. Uh, So I I played it roughly around when it came out. um, Eventually finished it. I think Far Cry 2 is a very fun game. Mm -hmm. Is a pretty stupid game. It is hilariously repetitive. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it is a weird thing that i i don't encounter a lot which is it's a game i appreciated more after its sequels came out yes because i could see what they were trying to do with it once they actually succeeded in later games yeah a hundred percent i am right there with you on that although i'm gonna go a step further and say i think far cry 2 is my favorite ubisoft game of all time interesting yes and not because it's a good game Mm-hmm. I would not recommend this game to anybody. Uh, I I think it actively wants to harm the player every step <laughs> of the way. And we're yeah. going to get into that when I describe a typical mission in Far Cry 2. But if Far Cry 3 is like the prototypical Far Cry game that uh-huh. like basically yep. every Far Cry game since then has been. Far Cry 2 is the bones of which everything hangs off of. Yes. So it is an open world shooter that takes the original Far Cry's approach, approach to level design to its logical extreme. Instead of just being bespoke levels, it's like, well, you have a whole entire world. You can approach like these strongholds or whatever your objective is with whatever tools you have and figure it out on your own. And this isn't the first like first person shooter to do this, but it was certainly one of the more prominent at the time. Now, Ubisoft accomplished this by taking the Crytek engine and rebuilding it from the ground up to create what's now called the Dunia engine. And along the way, they programmed in a ton of new features. Uh, everything from like incredibly unforgiving weapon degradation systems to enemy patrols that could show up at any time in the open world, uh, a system where you could set anything on fire and in turn spread said fire in somewhat reasonable but also unpredictable fashion. Mm-hmm. It's there. This game is filled with so many crazy ideas. Yeah, uh, and so it shares that sort of similar design ethos with Far Cry. But they did want to make it something distinct from the original. And that's for a couple of reasons. One, because they made essentially four games in that fashion. And two, this was around the time that Cry- uh, Crytek had signed their agreement with EA and was in the process of making Crisis. So Ubisoft wanted to move Far Cry away from that, from that tropical setting that was a little bit more supernatural and whatnot. And so instead, what they did is that they took it to the... Uh, uh, jungles and savannas of Africa. 
uh, made it a much more grounded video game. And I'm going to put grounded in the <laughs> biggest air quotes you could possibly see, or I guess hear over this. And tried to make it something that was essentially tonally the polar opposite of what Far Cry was. Mm-hmm. Now, ultimately, I feel like this culminates in a game that is like surprisingly freeform and very strange. Um, and I have here written down, if albeit also strangely repetitive at times, which, uh, yes, I, yeah. I think we both agree on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you were mention- <laughs> mentioning uh, that you're going to talk about a typical mission in Far Cry 2. You might as well say the mission in Far Cry 2. Yeah. In fact, let's go ahead and start. Yeah, totally. Because yeah. we, we should just talk about like what the typical mission is or what mm-hmm. the mission is, right? Yeah. This is every mission. So. You start a mission by getting a job from an African warlord to do something at an enemy stronghold. Your buddy contacts you, because you have buddies in this game, Mm -hmm. and says you can get more money if you do some other side objective. So then you go to your safe house to get new guns, because weapons degrade incredibly quickly. Like, literally, you put two two magazines of ammunition through there, and they're going to be jamming and Mm -hmm. or potentially exploding in your hands. (laughs) Uh, So you have to do this. Yep. Uh, you then get into your sponsored by, literally sponsored by Jeep, Jeep, mm-hmm. and then drive to the objective, which by, oh, by the way, you do have a mini-map, but the mini-map is a physical map your character holds in their uh, hand. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love oh, that. I love this, too, because if you're driving, it's in their lap, so you have to look down at your lap to see <laughs> where you're going. Oh, uh, so good. By the way, the Jeeps are terrible to drive, and you're constantly on cliff sides. So you're yeah. guaranteed to, at least a couple of times, drive yourself off a cliff to your death and have to start the entire mission over. Usually right when you're about to get to the stronghold. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you'll get to your objective in, the, in said Jeep that's likely on fire from hitting every tree along the way, and then one of six things are going to happen. One, you'll attempt to go into the base guns blazing and get immediately gunned down. Two you'll get a bunch of silenced weapons and attempt to sneak in only to learn that silenced weapons aren't actually silenced <laughs> and will immediately alert everyone the second you start shooting and get gunned down. Three, you, in an attempt to get creative, you will set fire to the underbrush in hopes of setting your enemies on fire only for you to misjudge the direction of the wind, sending the fire towards you, causing you to <laughs> run away while every guard in the world chases you. Number four, as you scope out the base, a leopard will attack and eat you. <laughs> Number five, in the inevitable firefight, a random enemy patrol will show up and run you over from behind with a jeep, failing the mission. Mm -hmm. And in number six, everything will go off without a hitch. Uh, This will only happen 5% of the time. The other five will happen uh, far more often. Yep. After you achieve your objective, your buddy will radio telling you he or she is in over their head and needs help, forcing you to race over to the position lest they are killed. If wounded, you can heal them with a syringe. If if you have none of those, you can pull out a Desert Eagle, regardless if you have one or not, and shoot them. <laughs> you then go back to the African Warlord, who pays you in literal blood diamonds. They are called blood diamonds. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that is every mission. That's the mission. It is absolutely repetitive, but I absolutely love how chaotic it is, because mm-hmm. everything always goes wrong on these missions. Yep. And not in a scripted way. Just the open world clockwork, clockwork mechanics 
are going to dictate that something stupid is going to happen. Uh-huh. That leopard will chase you into the middle of the base and everybody's going to freak out. <laughs> Random things will just start exploding. You'll accidentally drive pat- too close to an outpost and while you're scoping out the enemy base, a bunch of people are going to chase you into said base. It's absolutely wonderful. It's it's great. Yeah, so all this open-ended chaos is matched by a plot that's equally all over the place. Oh, yeah. And it's a plot that's not helped by the fact that there's no central main character you play as. I find this interesting. I think it's a bad idea, but I find it interesting. Mm-hmm. You're prompted to select one character out of nine. Uh, all of various backgrounds, such as a 29-year-old Brazilian-American Marine mm-hmm. to a Chinese contraband smuggler. To my personal favorite, a 48-year-old Kosovar Albanian with a sick mustache. <laughs> Absolutely love that guy. Yeah. Uh, they are silent protagonist. Uh, all the other characters that you don't pick will just be buddies that you can recruit. Um, and they will technically have personalities, but the personalities are usually one line where they say, boy, I hate that Chinese guy over there. He seems like a bad person, unlike me, the European. That's my personality. Mm-hmm. So it's it's incredibly, incredibly pointless. So... It does do one thing, though, with the plot that is going to be the central focus of Far Cry storytelling going forward. Mm -hmm. There is going to be a central um, antagonist who honestly might as well be the main character. Yeah. And we're going to get into who that is here in a second. But I think we should start by talking about the plot of Far Cry 2. So Far Cry 2 takes place in a central African country called the UAC. Alex, do you know what the UAC stands for? Uh, it's the United Aerospace Corporation, I believe. <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty rad, but no. It's unnamed African country. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... It's both clever and lazy at the same time. Um, the country is in the midst of a civil war when the local government fell, with two competing factions now vying for control. The United Front for Liberation and Labor, and the Alliance for Popular Resistance. Now, one is vaguely autocratic, one is vaguely communist, but the honest reality is that they're both are horrible people in there, and they're more than willing to commit atrocities against each other for the sole purpose of wiping them out. Uh, the Civil War itself and the, like the kind of like backstory behind it is based off of quite a few civil wars that had happened in Africa in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, particularly the um, Liberian Civil War, as well as the uprisings that happened in Kenya, are particularly linked to being inspired for the story. Uh, in general, the tone of this game is about a feeling of like hopelessness and what uh, what it takes for a man to survive out in Africa. Taking a lot of inspiration from uh, novels such as like uh, uh, the nineteenth century novel, like Heart of Darkness and whatnot. So. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're trying to, with a, everybody essentially being an incredibly bad person, they're trying to reinforce that with these two factions that, unfortunately, don't do a whole lot in this for the story. Right. They're sort of just there to give you missions and then kick you out the door. Exactly. And then very, like, clearly betray you, like, halfway right. through. So the Civil War itself has like resulted in like thousands of dead, dead and like hundreds of thousands displaced, and the war itself is at a stalemate. Now it's here that you, the player, are hired by an unknown party to go to the UAC and assassinate an arms dealer supplying both sides called the Jackal. Uh, now the Jackal's supposedly hiding out in the city of Palau. 
which is a neutral city where both the APR and UFLL interact. So they're just, it's kind of like neutral grounds to can negotiate. Now, you arrive there, and it immediately looks like rebels attack the city, and you have to immediately try to fight them off. And as you're attempting to fend them off, you find out you have malaria. <laughs> it's, you've been in the, you've been in Africa for like an hour, and you have malaria. Yeah, just like instantly. It's, it's like, so funny. It really is. <laughs> Which really just goes to show just, first off, one, pretty sure malaria does not work that quickly. Yeah. Two, no. <laughs> you have to be incredibly unprepared to be like, well, I guess mm. I'm not going to have like any sort of prophylactic medication or, you know, or you know, anything to guard against this. It's not like this hasn't been a issue for <laughs> since literally forever. <laughs> Regardless, though, you get malaria so bad you have a malaria-induced seizure and pass out. And then you wake up in a hotel room with the jackal standing over you <laughs> with a gun. Though so the jackal. The jackal is a middle-aged white man with graying brown hair, a red shirt and khakis, who's responsible for literally all the guns in the nation. Literally all <laughs> literally of them. Literally all of them. So he's the main supplier for both sides of the Civil War, and... Uh, you find out that in the series of interviews he gives with a local journalist by the name of Ruben, who we're going to meet soon enough, uh, we learned he was a former U.S. Navy seaman who describes himself as a humanist. Now, how he comes to this conclusion is absolutely insane, because he basically recognizes that, hey, uh, if I give all the weapons to one side, they're going to win the Civil War, but then they're going to murder a bunch of people in the process. Mm -hmm. But if I give weapons to everybody... Sure, a lot of people are going to get displaced, but less people are going to die overall, or at least the death will be slower. Uh-huh. Therefore, I'm actually doing a good thing. It's stupid. It's, it's very, stupid. very bad. I In love fact, the Jackal. I love the Jackal because, yeah, his philosophy barely makes sense. And it's very clear that the writers wanted him to sound deep, and but they ended up giving him... And maybe this was intentional, Mm -hmm. They gave him essentially two competing, two competing philosophies that are directly at odds with each other. And you realize this about five seconds in as he is basically talking with you while holding a gun at you, to your head. As he talks about, hey, I read an interesting book once, and he decides to quote Nietzsche when talking about <laughs> how men are motivated by, quote, a living being seeks above all to discharge his strength. Life itself is will to power. Nothing else matters, end quote. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into why Nisha sucks, because this isn't the mm -hmm. podcast for it. But I will say Nisha is often quoted by fringe right, far-right figures today, and historically mm -hmm. has had a close association with the far-right, including the Nazis. Mm -hmm. uh, now, generally, a decent amount of people are familiar with his works, such as Will to Power, but they don't really examine it much deeper, and we usually will throw out a quote or two, much like the Jackal's doing here. And then we'll later like, kind of learn a little bit more and actually realize what he's trying to say and go like, oh, no. Oof. Oof. Mm. Now, the reason why I'm bringing all this up specifically is because Anisha thought humanism was stupid as hell. <laughs> he was actually part of a set called anti-humanism. Uh, oh. And he, he thought that the idea of very, very simple, but like the idea of actually helping each other out and being more altruistic was uh, honestly weakness and going against human nature. Mm -hmm. So the idea that uh, the Jackal calls himself a humanist and is directly quoting him is is deeply funny to me. <laughs> So anyways, he monologues at you and then leaves, and now you have to solve your malaria problem. <laughs> this, uh, I'll also say, this brings in the contrast my favorite part about the Jackal, which mm -hmm. every character has this situation, but the Jackal has it the most, 
which is that the voice acting in this game's pretty good. Yeah. But oh. it sounds like every voice actor was not allowed to take a breath until they finished all their lines. Oh, yeah. Yes. There I are no spaces in their words. They speak <laughs> as quickly as they can be understood. I, um, I, I was tempted to do this with the, um, the first episode, but I decided not to because I didn't find any of the characters that interesting to do. But right. I am going to put in some audio samples into here because, yes, the Jackal... Yeah, like you said, he doesn't breathe. You can tell them you tried, but that means fuck all, doesn't it? You're fired. You know it, and so do I. You had your shot, but now it's over. And since men like you only work for money, you're no longer my problem. It sounds like the sound editor took out everything, every bit of silence more than a quarter second long. Mm-hmm. And it's very prominent when you hear, like, there's these audio tapes are all around and whatnot that you can mm -hmm. get. And yeah, Jackal's having a rapport with like Rupert, uh, Ruben, and like mm -hmm. yeah, Ruben will say a line, and then Jackal will immediately answer. Uh -huh. And like they'll, and then Ruben will immediately answer that, and it's like, oh, what? <laughs> it's uh, it's so wild. It sounds so weird. It sounds so weird. And on top of that, there is very clearly no like voice direction either, because there. Mm -hmm. were, They'll have like the jackal like emotes like pretty aggressively, like he's clearly getting angry and worked up over something. Right, right. But he'll still talk low and gravelly, to, uh -huh. like not stop while he's yeah, doing his, that. Yeah, his tone is still very even. It, yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. I love it. I uh, love it. It's great. So after you get malaria and you have to like solve your malaria problem, you run into Ruben. Now, Ruben's a war correspondent who is there to cover the Civil War. He's apparently been all over Africa, has won awards for his journalism, and he's there to try to help the people out as best as possible by getting the word out about these horrible atrocities that are going on. Now, in exchange for your help, he gives you access to malaria medications via an organization called The Underground. The malaria process in this game is hilarious <laughs> because you'll just randomly get malaria and then you have to hit the F key in order to take your malaria meds. Eventually, though, you run out. And so you have to go to impoverished families who are like, man, we're going to die without this malaria medication, but we're going to die even sooner if these rebels kill us. So go kill these rebels. All right. Have the rest of our malaria medication. I guess we're going to die soon, but at least we won't die right now. <laughs> This game is exceedingly bleak. It is reinforced like every step of the way. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's one of those things that like it's so over the top, but I almost appreciate their sheer commitment to just how dire everything is. Right. And it's it becomes especially weird because you're a silent protagonist mm -hmm. that you not only are you engaging with this bleak amorality, you have no visible or tangible like feeling about it. No, not at all. You just do things mm -hmm. to get to the next objective. And it's, as we're going to find out soon, that's not going to work out really well. Yeah. <laughs> when all of a sudden you're having to make a really major decision, but it's just more like you're just sort of ordered to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting choice. I, I kind of, actually, I don't understand why did this it's not like site like i don't know why they decided to go and like just throw link in there for some reason but, but yeah it's, it's a weird decision yeah definitely so after this you team up with either the ufll or the apr um both promising you to help find the jackal if you help them out mm -hmm. uh, and you, that's when you team up with your mercenary buddies who all are all hanging out in the same cabin and eventually though 
whomever you're working for betrays you, leaves you for dead, and presumably kills your buddy as well. Uh, and you only survive, though, because the jackal saves your life. And then the jackal monologues more at you about, like, how everybody in this country is evil and, you know, humanity's only sharpened by the blade and all sorts of other stupid uh -huh. stuff. Right. But the... Essentially, you end up getting revenge on the faction that tried to kill you, and then you work for the opposite faction. Uh, now, this ultimately culminates in you helping to broker a peace deal that, of course, goes wrong. You get betrayed again, and then you end up having to kill the leaders of both the APR and the UFLL. It's after this you meet up with the Jackal again, who tells you that due to the escalating violence, a bunch of civilians, including Ruben, are trying to flee the country, but unfortunately, the remnants of both the APR and the UFLL are trying to kill them. They're going to basically chase after them as they try to escape through this valley and just murder them all. The Jackal then reveals that he's not going to let this happen, though. He's not going to let these evil people kill these innocent civilians. Why? He's just a scientist now. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a plan. His plan is that he has a bunch of explosive, explosive dynamite rigged on this mountainside, and he's going to detonate it, causing a landslide and basically blocking, like, cutting off um, the civilians from the soldiers. He is then going to go to the border guards, give them a briefcase full of blood diamonds, and bribe them to let them pass through. Now, there is a problem with this plan. Uh, he cannot detonate the dynamite remotely, and the border guards are too far away from the detonation site. So one person needs to go up there and rig the explosives with a car battery that will guarantee to kill them, while the other goes down and bribes the border guards, which, by the way, there's a gun in the briefcase. They're to take the gun out afterwards and then shoot themselves. Now, he says the reason is is because they need to stop the bleeding and cure the cancer that they're a part of. They can't <laughs> be allowed to escape because they are part of the cancer that is the ruling class of that country. Uh-huh. Okay, dude. Yeah, right? <laughs> and you just, as the silent protects, just go, all right, I guess. All right, yep. He said it. Yeah, he's like, you want to take the car battery? You want to take the briefcase? And you're like, uh, whatever, man. So, yeah. So you go, um, you do have to take the briefcase, like, of diamonds briefly, and you do end up, like, running into your buddies, including the buddy that you thought was dead. And they're like, all of them are there. And you're like, wow, how's it going, guys? We're like, oh, pretty good. We're about to escape the country. We're going to steal your diamonds and escape the country. We're like, what? And then they try to kill you. And you have to kill all your buddies. And it's, you've built up a rapport with these people who have one line and are yeah. constantly trying to get themselves killed. Uh-huh, yeah. You've spent so many medicines keeping them alive. So many medicines. Just God, every time. Every time. I wonder what happens if you let all your buddies die on the missions. Like, what happens if they're even there? I don't know. The end of the game might be easier. It actually might be. <laughs> <laughs> so, you do all that, and when you you go and you finish the mission, whatever it is, you either you know, blow up the mountainside and die, or you give the diamonds to the border guards and then pull out the gun and then shoot yourself. But regardless, you find out in the end it stops nothing. You find out that the country descended to total anarchy, and while these civilians did escape, they escaped to a hard life in another country. And you find out that Ruben himself, while he tried to get international attention with the stories, he found out nobody really cared about it, and so his stories were ignored. That's the end of Far Cry 2. It's incredibly bleak. Yep. Everyone's sad and or dead. 
But you know what's the funniest kicker about all this? Mm -hmm. So if you look at um, the model for the Jackal in-game, uh, like in like an in-game like model viewer and whatnot, mm -hmm. uh, you notice that it's labeled as Jack Harbor. Ah, uh, yeah. Hmm. So recently, Clint Hawking, who was a creative d director on this game and the uh, inventor of the term ludonarrative dissidence, by the way. <laughs> uh, oh, irony. The Internet's greatest criminal uh, after <laughs> the guy who made Comic Sans. Mm. Uh, he um, he's, he's a fine guy, actually. He uh, has been on the record saying yeah, the intention was, yes, this was supposed to be Jack Carver. Mm. Uh, now, it's never outright stated that he is, and he's more saying that, like, well, that was the intention, not necessarily that it was supposed to, that he is him, but right. given that he literally looks like Jack Carver, except older, and, uh -huh. you know, he's a U.S. Navy guy, just like Jack Carver was, it it seems pretty darn close. So, in the end, Far Cry 2 is a story about Jack Carver killing himself cool. uh, somewhat arbitrarily. <laughs> Congrats. Now we can completely move on from Far Cry 1. <laughs> Far Cry 2 plays out like a Rambo movie studied philosophy for a year in college mm -hmm. and tried to be serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically it's like the it's like the final scene in the police station in the original Rambo. Yeah. Just like spread out over 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just and just Jackal endlessly yelling about you, about how they just don't understand, man. They spit on me when I came home. I can't live a normal life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, basically it is. It is. It's, it's such a mess of a game, Alex. It's it, so messy. It's so weird. It is. But man, do I love the hell out of this game. I love it so much. And it goes back to, I appreciate it more after Far Cry 3 came out. Mm -hmm. Because when Far Cry 2 came out, my reference point was Far Cry 1. And so I'm just playing through this bleak, grounded, open-world shooter in, like, dusty, dry Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. And just being like, what is happening? Why what? is this called Far Cry? This has nothing to do with Far Cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's it's such a tonal shift. And yeah, with like Far Cry 3, they're going to take a lot of the basic tenets and make them uh, playable. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be, I, I will admit, it's going to be a much better game for it. It'll yep. be one that kind of sticks with me less because of just it's, it's not, well, we'll get into it when we talk about Far Cry 3, yeah. how I ultimately feel about it. But yeah. But yeah, that's uh that's Far Cry 2, a very very strange video game. Oh, one last thing. Um there is a Wikipedia style site called the Internet Movie Firearm Database. Uh the reason why okay. I'm pointing it out is because they have a section on Far Cry 2 where they basically talk about all the guns and they specifically talk about how it's ridiculous how they all explode after you use them <laughs> five times. Because they explode uh -huh. in some very, very funny ways. <laughs> Usually yeah. with the entire barrel going towards your face. <laughs> Just a, a fun thing to check out if you have a, have an afternoon. But yes, so that, that game was successful, though. It actually did very, very well for Ubisoft. And so four years later, they decided to revisit it with a little game called Far Cry 3, released in 2012. Alex, Far Cry 3 is awesome as a pure video game. Yes, agreed. I think that it is incredibly beautiful. It visually mm -hmm. holds up. I actually reinstalled it recently just to check it out again. And it's 
still incredibly good looking. Mm-hmm. Its gunplay feels very nice. Yep. Its approach to uh, outposts, which were in Far Cry 2, but would instantly respond the second they were out of eyesight. So, like, all the soldiers would be back in there. They're now, like, more, like, puzzly, right. like, sort of, like, sandboxes have how you deal with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is such a fantastic game to play. Yes. I, I think it's got one of the best flexibilities between, like, stealth and action gameplay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a game that's going to 100% set the tone for far, what Far Cry is going to be going forward, and for very good reason. It, mm-hmm. it is something that you could easily expand upon, which, yeah, Far Cry 4 is going to do to, honestly, good effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, its story is dumb. Yes. Very, very dumb. Yes. Now, they're going to try to solve how the story is was told from compared to Far Cry 2 in a couple ways. Uh, one, uh, you now have a dedicated main character, which is going to help. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, what they're going to do is that they're going to basically put a mirror sheen on more or less everything that's going on here, which you're going to hope so, because this game is developed by Ubisoft Montreal, but it also has mm-hmm. six, like five separate studios that are also working on it at the same time. Ah, uh, yes. The, the t- when was this game? Like close 20, to 2010, right? 2012. 2012. So this this was the time of AAA companies throwing every studio they have at a project. Mm-hmm. You you saw it with EA and their Bioware games. You saw it with Ubisoft and their Assassin's Creed and Far Cry's. You just, yeah. you just get every get every studio on the phone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Just like let's have everybody just be on all hands on deck to make sure this gets out is as polished as possible and you know takes all our best ideas from our all our other games and throws them in here. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what Far Cry 3 is. It's it's a game that's been described as one of the first what's called Ubibox games. Uh-huh. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. And like, yeah, it, I totally, totally see it. Now, this is a game that because because of this, though, it is an incredibly salt game. It Both critics and fans loved it. It sold mm-hmm. over 10 million copies. And once again, from here on out, every Far Cry game is going to be this game in one form or another. In a way yep. that's eventually going to become incredibly seemly and sometimes outright detrimental. Yeah. And once again, while I do love how weird Far Cry 2 was, I have to admit this is the right decision to go in. But this is a podcast about plot lines, and so we got to talk about what they're going to do with that plot. And it does look promising, because once mm-hmm. again, they're actually going to have a voiced main character, for one. Mm-hmm. And Ubisoft's going to double down on the idea of having a strong antagonist. Mm-hmm. And boy, they are going to nail it with their... Oh, boy, are they. Yeah, the villain Vas Montenegro. Vas is the star of the show. I a- think he was also the first thing we saw about the game, basically. Yep. Oh, yes. I mean, he's right on the box art. Mm-hmm. Um, Main character, in fact, not on there. The dude who's yeah. buried on that box art is actually from a weird promotional advertisement campaign that was live action. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's the star of the show. A thin, crazy-eyed presence who's both funny and absolutely terrifying and can just flip the switch from one to the other at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. He's played and modeled after Michael Mondo. Uh, he's an actor who's best known nowadays for playing Nacho Varga on Better Call Saul. Ah. Yeah, and where he's, he's excellent on that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's and he was originally going to be 
like a hulking brute of a character called Bull until uh, Mando came in and gave what was described as an amazing audition, which prompted the writers to go like, no, we're going to change this completely around. I can believe that. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah cause- like, I think I think the first trailer for the game opens with uh, Voss giving one of his monologues from the game. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. He is just absolutely amazing. Just so strong. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they've changed the character to accommodate his physical acting and personality. And seeing that they clearly had a hit with him, featured him heavily in the marketing. Once again, he appears on the box, but he also was in a live action web series where he terrorized an Ubisoft hired documentary team. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really good. Nice. Uh, Yeah. And he's really good. He's arguably the first actual good character in all of Far Cry. Just (laughs) took him eight years. Yep. Now, all of this appeared to be setting the stage for a game that should be the total package. So let's talk about how Ubisoft messes it up as we talk Mm -hmm. about the plot of Far Cry 3. Yay. So the very first thing, Alex, you see in this game is an Alice Mm -hmm. in Wonderland quote. In another moment, down went Alice after it, never once considering how in the world she was to get out again. I hate this quote, Alex. Because this quote showed up in... I at minimum three video games around this time <laughs> that was trying to be trippy and be like, ooh, there's going to uh-huh. be a mystery in here. What's real and what's not? Mm-hmm. It's also not the only Alice in Wonderland quote that's going to show up in this for reasons that we'll get to. Now, Far Cry 3, though, almost after this, has maybe one of the strongest starts to a game I've ever seen. Yes. It starts with a group of friends on a beach as they all take tequila shots and celebrate the fact that their parents have black cards. (laughs) They then rapidly flash between them, still images of each of these people as their names flash on screen as they do scuba diving, skydiving, partying on this tropical island, all while MIA's Paper Airplanes plays. It is a hell of a tone. You immediately hate these people. Yep. And you want them all to die. Yep. Just trashy rich kids through and through. Absolutely. And things immediately cut to our protagonist, Jason Brody, as he's tied up in a cell with his older brother, Grant. And like, you see like the last picture of this like montage of them having fun is like them skydiving. And he sees the phone screen and pulls back and you see Voss holding the phone. That's crazy. I like this phone. This is a nice fucking phone. Expensive things. I'm sorry, what did you say? What did you say? Did you want me to slice you open like I did your friend? Being like, oh, this is cool. This is this is a nice phone. This is a really nice fucking phone. <laughs> I, I should get me one of these. He's like, all right, who is this? Uh, okay, you're Jason and Grant from California. Hmm. Well, you know, I hope your parents love you. Because it looks like you're very expensive. And I like expensive things. <laughs> It's so strong. So good. It's It's, so good. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he does like immediately get terror, like terrorizes Grant, like immediately afterwards, and like eventually though his boss Hoyt shows up and is like, "Hey, you need to get out of here. You stop. I need you to deal with things." Mm -hmm. And so like he like walks away. He's like, "Hey, listen, we're gonna have fun." Like, um, uh, he like you know checks another guard. He's like, "Man, get you every time." Like, it's it's so good. Oh, it's so good. So then you immediately break out. Uh. Your brother, uh, Jason's older brother, Grant, is like a former um, U.S. Army man. And he's like, he's able to like punch people and whatnot. And like, he seems like he's going to be the action hero protagonist until he gets shot in the neck by Voss. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Voss could kill Jason here, but he's like, nah, it'd be funnier if, uh, funny if you escaped. Let's see what happens. <laughs> so he, he lets him go. He lets him run. All while yelling. I mean, honestly, a dated reference that I am not proud of you for this one, Voss. Yells, run, yeah. forced run. Yeah. Get some new material, Voss. <laughs> so Jason eventually has to, like, base, like he, um, like, jumps off, like, a waterfall to escape, gets knocked out, and wakes up in a village uh, where he meets a man named Dennis, a Liberian and honorary member of a tribe called the Rakat. Rakyat, even. So he rescued Jason and immediately recognizes he could be a great warrior who could help his tribe <laughs> defeat the pirates who've been terrorizing his people that are led by Voss. To this end, he convinces his leader to allow Jason to get the Tatao, which is literally a tribal tattoo that has that a lot of very like it basically looks like that like a tribal band almost mm -hmm. that like a lot of uh, very very trying people mm -hmm. in the two thousands would get. And it also apparently somehow can give Jason like superpowers. You're right. So with that, he convinces Jason to help him take on Voss. Mostly because Voss has his friends, including his girlfriend Lisa and his younger brother Riley. So it's in his best interest to help out. So Jason at first doesn't want to like hurt anybody or do anything like that, but he soon discovers that actually killing is fun and he loves it. Um and as he starts rescuing his friends one by one from Voss's men, uh Jason like is like, man, yeah, no, I feel so alive. <laughs> like he even confides in one of his friends saying that killing makes him feel amazing. So this leads us into the two themes of the game. Uh-huh. So there are two themes. One, Jason, being a sheltered boy, sheltered and listless boy, finds meaning in rescuing his friends and putting himself in a danger. Like we're told um, that he is kind of distant from his girlfriend and doesn't seem to have like any plan for life. He's just, even though he's like mm -hmm. a super athlete and got good grades in college, he just, just does odd jobs. And everyone's like, man, you're going to kind of fail, aren't you? But no, it turns out he has, he has like a lot of, he's really into this, but mm -hmm. he, he starts to take like heavy psychotropic drugs throughout the game that the Rocky Otter are giving him. And that starts to blend his imagination and reality, making him question if he's really going mad. Remember that Alice in Wonderland quote? Here we are. Yeah. This leads to the second theme, though. This reflects on the player playing the game, because Jason at first hates what's going on, but the player loves it, and the player's love of shooting these people eventually rubs off on Jason in a way, because is this real or is it a video game? It's dumb. It's really dumb. <laughs> um. Th so there's also, there's also an issue with mm -hmm. this game's narrative but i think more of its theme um which is so I, I especially this game was not the only game sort of getting into these themes of like i guess you would say like loss of innocence and questioning like the player's love of violence and how that reflects on the character and things like that mm. um uh, there's a video game called Spec Ops The Line, which is generally regarded as, like, the gold standard for executing this kind of narrative in games. Mm -hmm. And this was also around the time that the Tomb Raider reboot came out. Oh, yeah. Um, and the Tomb Raider reboot was often compared unfavorably to Far Cry 3 and Spec Ops in to the effect of it, it was trying to give Laura Croft the sort of dark descent into or not not even like a dark descent but like a descent into having to 
protect herself and take care of herself against the dangers of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the criticism people levied was that, wow, she goes through like having to kill one person and then suddenly just grabs a machine gun and starts mowing people down. Yeah. That's like a weird sudden jump in tone. And I'm like, okay, that's a fair criticism. Yeah, it's like not wrong, but. Yeah. So then I played Far Cry 3. And in Far Cry 3, uh, Jason has to kill someone to escape in the opening of the game mm-hmm. and then goes through the whole sequence and then is released into the open world. The problem with that open world is that Ubisoft didn't really ramp up the way it functions as the game goes on. Mm-hmm. It just sort of hits go. And so about 30 minutes into the game, I was carrying an emptied machine gun over about 12 corpses and four burned out Jeeps that I had destroyed. Mm-hmm. And I went, wow, that was a really sharp descent into darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. If if uh, the Tomb Raider reboot is 0 to 60, this is light speed. Yeah. It, they're just like, here's some jeeps and men to destroy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess violence now. Yeah, I guess um, guess we're just totally cool with that. Why not? And But then the, the issue is that the narrative tries to have Jason go through this slow descent, and it's like, I've already killed 50 people. Yeah. Yeah, it's... We're, we're already there. Like, let's, yeah. let's not even bother with this. Yeah, and like, yeah, like you said, like so many video games around this time tried to do that. Like, mm-hmm. like you mentioned Tomb Raider, like Grand Theft Auto Four mm, yeah. also had this huge issue with you know mm-hmm. Nico Bellic being like, "Oh, I don't want to commit the crimes," and he could just immediately run over Real- people. Immediately on the commit crimes. Yeah, like it's something that we've moved. I, I see that like video games have moved pretty pretty strongly away from recently. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. everyone kind of agreed that this is just feels very strange yeah it's almost like there's some narrative dissonance here almost Uh, like almost like yeah it it is difficult to get the pace of the narrative to match with the pace of the gameplay Mm -hmm. in this regard it is yeah and it also doesn't help like this is maybe a little bit separate from that but that that far cry 3 just in general is very tone deaf about everything that's going on in it also yeah yeah uh, we're about to get to one particular part here, but one thing I wanted to point out as well is that uh, this game got a lot of, uh, actually, I'd say a fair amount of criticism of the fact that uh, it has a bit of a white savior archetype kind of going on. Yeah, there. yeah. Yeah, and like, I'm not one who says that every time there's something that's even like mildly problematic, like the game has to explain and like, you know, deal with it. Like, I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's good if they do, but like, I, I don't think they have to like delve super deep into it, but when it's like very egregious, like Far Cry Three is, yeah, like you literally have every native, including the leaders of the said tribe, being like, "Oh, Jason, you are our savior. You're <laughs> going to be our god." Yeah, it's a it's... little much. Mm, yeah, <laughs> like intentional or not. <laughs> and speaking of the other part that's tone deaf, Jason eventually meets up with a CIA agent by the name of Willis Huntley. Who acts like every CIA agent in a video game ever, which is to say he's not subtle at all. It's like, man, I've seen the world. I know how it really works. Mm-hmm. Let me be very blue with you. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he tells Jason that one of his friends, Keith, has been already sold to a man named Buck, and he'll need to negotiate with Buck. This is maybe the most tone-deaf thing about the game. Mm. And um, I guess uh, 
content warning for sexual assault, uh, we find out almost immediately that Buck is constantly raping Keith. And the fa a fact that Jason himself does not seem to find particularly troubling as you'd think, given yeah. that he immediately makes a joke, uh, a reference to Kill Bill, by saying his name is Buck and he likes to... It's not handled well, Alex. No, no, it's not. It's not at all. And it's like, I will have to say that rape and implied rape is one of the most difficult things to write ever. And you have to take a lot of care with this. And they don't bother. Yeah. Which, uh, I'm not here to jump up Quentin Tarantino's ass. But the mm -hmm. fact that they're referencing Kill Bill means, yeah, they're probably inspired by some subject matter that maybe also doesn't handle it well either. Right. Yeah. Like the like a rushing nesting doll of we've messed up with with yeah. writing sexual assaults in our in our pieces yeah. of media. It's amazing. It's amazing. I hate this part of the game. Eventually, Buck dies, and you rescue Keith. Yeah, but not before Buck tells uh, Jason that uh, Hoyt Voss's boss, boss has already killed his younger brother Riley. So Jason is understandably upset about this, but he starts to rescue his girlfriend Lisa. Before that, though, Jace, uh, Dennis tells Jason he needs to meet the leader of the Rakyat. So he goes to a temple deep in the jungle where he meets Citra, a 29-year-old woman. Uh, she at first thinks Jason sucks, but after he kills a bunch of Hoyt's men, she thinks that he has what it takes to be by her side. Uh, thinks that he could be just the ultimate warrior and help her create the ultimate warrior. And then drugs and molests him. I was trying to remember how I feel about Citra, and yeah, now I remember how I feel about Citra. But this is this is a stupid character. It's very, very stupid. Citra's oh, man, yeah. Un Citra's gonna I take was, some tw twists and turns as this goes on. Yeah, I I was trying to be like I remember having some positive feelings about Citra. I think her voice actor is just pretty good at the role. Yeah, I think that's about it. The voice acting in this game in general is very, very good. So, yeah, yeah. I can see that. But, but, yeah. Yeah, no, this character's stupid. <laughs> yeah, the character, awful. So, Jason is not too particularly bothered by this and is, in fact, quite intrigued by Citra. Uh, we also learn from her that her brother is Voss, it turns out. Voss apparently had been captured by Hoyt at some point when he was, uh, he was like, 12 or so. Mm. And... Via the use of a lot of drugs and killing people, he kind of became the crazy person he is today. Right. So, Jason goes to rescue uh, Lisa before he has another run-in with Voss, who captures him, ties him to a concrete slab, um, and is about to like push him to a push him to a body of water before he gives him a speech that is probably the iconic speech of the game, mm -hmm. which is Voss's speech on insanity, which is yeah. I'm probably not going to put the entire clip in here because it's a little too long for fair use, but I'll probably post a link to it because it is, it's pretty good. It's once again, it's a well done piece of acting by Michael Mondo. Yeah. It, it is that monologue that appears in the first trailer along with a, I, I, I guess a playthrough of the, the ensuing action scene. Mm -hmm. Again, this was the first thing they showed about Far Cry 3 and everyone was like, holy crap, what is this? Yeah. This, yeah. this looks crazy. Yeah, I thought it was that. I'm glad you got uh, you confirmed that for me. Yeah, it's really, really good. Anyways, Jason gets pushed into water, but he escapes. Uh, 
Ven rescues Lisa, and the, basically all the surviving friends are now together. And sort of like, okay, we're going to get on this boat and we'll leave now. But Jason's like, no, I can't. Because he's intrigued by Citra and he wants revenge. His girlfriend Lisa's like, hey, man, maybe one day you're going to grow up, you immature baby. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to be a weird, like, tribal hero. You, We're, we're going to go. Take care. So they leave Jason behind and he goes to fight his way into Vasa's stronghold. And, oh, I forgot to mention this with uh, with Buck because I actually skipped over a piece portion of my notes because I just wanted to stop talking about him. Uh. So what do you ever you encounter and get into a fight with a prominent enemy in this game? Instead of having a boss fight, you get into what I call a hallucinogenic knife fight <laughs> where you are transported to a strange world, usually because Jason will get drugged, and then said villain will monologue at you while you wave knives at each other. You are not in control of this, but usually it ends with that person dead on the ground with a knife in them. Mm -hmm. You end up running to Voss, and the exact same thing happens. You get into a hallucinogenic knife fight, and you eventually wake up with Voss dead. And so that's it then. Game's over, right? You yeah. beat the main, main villain. What if I told you you're halfway through the game? Uh, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Alex, they killed off the best part of the game. They killed halfway the best through. by a million miles. Mm -hmm. No one comes close. Nobody comes close. And if you want an example of how out of a decision this is, the amount of paragraphs I wrote for Far Cry 3 up to this point is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 paragraphs. Mm. After this, for the rest of the game, Three paragraphs. <laughs> like, who cares? Right? Because exactly. Who cares? Jason's descent into darkness is done. He's just in darkness for the rest of it. And who mm -hmm. cares about Hoyt? No yeah. one. Nobody cares about Hoyt. We honestly could end this here. <laughs> you miss <laughs> nothing. For the purposes of this, we're not going to do this. But we'll keep, we'll keep moving forward so we can talk about Hoyt. A character so important that there's no reason to talk about his backstory. Yep. Uh, he's South African. Cool. Because that's a shorthand around this time for being evil. Yep. Crime Lord. The end. Yep. The end. So with the help of Huntley, uh, Jason wingsuits his way onto Hoyt's private island and infiltrates Hoyt's ranks. Basically, the idea is that he's going to work with Hoyt, rise up in power until he can get close to Hoyt and kill him. This includes him having to actually torture his own brother as he finds out he's actually alive. Whoops. Oops. After doing a good enough job, he's invited to play a poker game with him. When Hoyt tells him he knows who he is, he's already sold his brother, and now he's going to kill him. Jason is then restrained by soldiers. One of his fingers I mean, is... how did... You have been killing all of his men for the past month. How is he not going to know who you are? Oh, I mean, you're wearing a... You're wearing a uniform now. Yeah? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I think the idea is that technically you're fighting pirates and now you're fighting mercenaries and they are technically considered two distinct groups because one is one wears red clothing, the other wears yellow clothing. Uh, it's stupid. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so, not good. It's so stupid. It's not, it's not good. But yeah, he's restrained by these soldiers. Like one of his fingers gets cut off mm. and he's about to be killed with no hope of escaping when he gets into another hallucinetic dream and has another hallucinogenic knife fight with Hoyt and kills him. And when he wakes up, he finds everyone but him dead. And I don't know if this is actually true. I watched the cutscene, and but I feel like almost there's a point where he looks at his hands and says, what have I become? 
It, if the, yeah, if, something like that. Yeah, I don't think that actually happens, but it feels like it should. <laughs> yeah. So he rescues Riley, only to find that somebody has intercepted the boat with all their friends on, is now holding them hostage. Also, that person that did that is Citra. Okay, yeah. So Riley and Jason go to Citra's temple and find that she's cool, gone full-on crazy, believing that Jason is destined to give her the ultimate warrior, the ultimate warrior being their child. Right. So then she drugs him and convinces him to execute his friends. But before Jason can do that, he either A, does go through with it, slitting Lisa's throat before having sex with Citra, who then kills him immediately afterwards to imbue their child with his powers, or B, and what I think is technically the canonical ending, uh-huh. he doesn't do that, goes, this is crazy, I'm leaving. Now, if B happens, Citra goes crazy trying to beg Jason to stay, and Dennis, who's angry that he's rejecting Citra, charges him with a knife, but Citra jumps it away and gets stabbed instead. As she dies, Dennis cries, and everyone else awkwardly leaves on the boat. <laughs> the end. God. Mm. What a way for a game to go from, like, an 11 out of 10 opening mm. to, like, a solid 8, occasionally 9 game to mm. just, like, a 5 past the halfway point. Right. Yeah. This is definitely a game I finished off the strength of, well, this is a lot of fun to play. Yeah. Boy, is everything going on here stupid. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing how the perfect premise. And then they mm-hmm. just go like, we're going to kill the coolest character in the game halfway yeah. through. We're going to saddle you with this, this main character who you just absolutely want to die. Mm-hmm. You just hate this guy. Rescue his friends who you also hate. And yeah, oh my god. Ugh. And then it's like, well, no, but Jason's he's becoming the man he was meant to be. This impulsive, violent dickhead? Yeah, I guess. And 2012 video game says yes. Apparently so. Yeah. I, the funny thing about this is that Ubisoft Montreal is going to consider this game's plot to be a success. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Hmm. One like one of the, like the key things I saw from like early impressions of this game is like everyone's like, oh okay, I see what the tone of this game is. They're not actually gonna. This isn't serious. They're not gonna actually gonna do this. This is gonna be some subversion or something like that. And the answer no. is the subversion is actually they think that these people are cool, and this is no, this is this is what they want to do with this. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's like, I no, no. Oh man. And also, if we want to talk about, like, problematic tone, way to just throw every native person under the bus right? with this ending. Just like, oh, yeah, the tribal leader's fucking crazy, and she's gonna just have a murder baby and kill him. Yeah, yeah, to worship their ancient gods and all that. Yes. Right. In their weird, In their weird temple in the jungle. Yes, it's very... After all the hallucinogenic drugs. It's very much like, like you know, um, an Alan Quartermain novel brought to life. Like, it's, yeah, uh, uh, it's it it has not aged well. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's it is so amazing, tone deaf in a way that is I I I cannot even I cannot right. even believe it. Or it not, oh, go ahead. It, it's kind of wild though, because like I feel like in any other medium, it would already 
B not have aged well when it released. Mm-hmm. But because video games are so young, they're sort of like speed running the cultural insensitivity spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> video games are like constantly 10 years behind the curve. So yeah, no, yeah. it totally makes sense. Like, yeah, this would not be out of place of like a mid 90s action movie starring Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, maybe not so Chuck Norris. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, no, totally. It totally is. So, Far Cry 3 is going to get a standalone uh, DLC called Far Cry Blood Dragon, which <laughs> I promise you we are going to talk about it, just not right now, because I want to get through Far Cry 4. Yeah. Uh, Far Cry is going to do very interesting things with this DLC, where they're actually going to make the DLC worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, on a very consistent basis, but also in a way that it's usually really separate from the games. Yeah. Uh, so basically, we're going to just leave that all for the end and just kind of keep moving forward. But there is one piece of DLC that I do want to talk about, and this is my section that I have in all caps just called, I guess we got to talk about Herc. So, Alex, do you remember, uh, God, was it Ubisoft points? I forget what their weird point system was. Yeah, oh, God, yeah, it's part of the Uplay crap. Uplay, Uplay points, that's what it's called, right? Yeah. Yes. So, Ubisoft had this really cool idea where they had their own separate launcher, and if mm-hmm. you played ga- their games and achieved certain, like, achievements or objectives in there, you get points that you could spend on different things in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, they were pretty inconsequential things, like you can get a wallpaper, for your right. computer or like a gun skin maybe in one of the games but this was like around the start of that so they wanted to be ambitious with it and one of them was a three mission like mini campaign that you could unlock in far cry 3 that uh cost magic points that you couldn't buy <laughs> um now i don't remember if you could get all the enough enough points just playing through far cry 3 my brain says yes, because I don't remember how many other Ubisoft games I played on PC. Right. I I really want to believe that you can. Yeah. Because if you can, that's okay. It's like, oh, if you achieve a high enough rank, you get, like, the bonus missions. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to... If they're going to push you to buy other Ubisoft games for you to play this DLC, that's scummy. It is. Yeah, it's one of those... It's ultimately scummy. It's like... Like, when I initially heard about what they're doing, I'm like, well, that does seem kind of cool to, like, incentivize incentivize people to play their games. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, if you have to, like, if I had to go buy, like, a Splinter Cell game just to get enough points to play this three-mission DLC starring a character that is both important and not, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So this three-mission DLC is basically about a guy named Herc. So Herc is a friend of Jason's, or becomes a friend of Jason's. He's a basically the video game version of Guy Fieri, combined with a biker, except without the charm of either. Mm. Um, he's basically just a big dumb guy who likes shooting guns, and he's really into doing drugs, man. He's just like, man, yeah, I'm into like spiritualism, brother. Yeah, you're going to be my tap brother, Jason. Anyways, he's looking for this dagger, and you gotta help him find this dagger. And eventually you do. He's like, man, Jason, I'm gonna see you around. We're gonna be best friends, buddy. It's gonna be great. Now, it might seem real silly for me to bring this up, but Herc is going to show up often 
after this. Mm. He's going to be the connective tissue of Far Cry 3, 4, 5, and somehow Far Cry Primal, a game that takes place <laughs> 10,000 years before any Far Cry game. <laughs> You're probably going to say, oh, wow, so he plays like a prominent role in these games. No, he doesn't. He's just there. He's so stupid. He's just like your co-op character and occasionally gives you missions in Far Cry 4, but he doesn't actually contribute anything. I don't know. I don't know why they have such a fascination with this character. They just loved him enough that even though each of these games is pretty bespoke and doesn't like mm. feature the same characters, usually they're just like, nah, but Herc. Herc, though. Everyone loves Herc. Nobody loves Herc. And they eventually, Nobody loves eventually they would learn he's not in Far Cry 6. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just mentioning him now because we are never going to talk about him again. Far Cry 4. <laughs> <laughs> So Far Cry 3 was a runaway success. 10 million copies is nothing to sneeze at, and Ubisoft yep. now has much more than a franchise on their hands. They have their own lucrative first-person shooter mega franchise to help complement their various Tom Clancy and Assassin's Creed franchises. So something that can earn them all the money. Mm -hmm. And as with any major Western publisher, there's a big feeling that you have to strike while the iron is hot. Now, this is not going to be like a Call of Duty situation where it's going to have yearly releases. Right. But Far Cry 4 is going to come out two years later in 2014. So they're speeding up that timetable considerably. Mm-hmm. So Ubisoft Montreal would complete Far Cry 4 in 2014, and they would, in essence, create what is secretly the best Far Cry game. And I hmm. will stand by that. Interesting. Yes, and the reason being is because it's essentially what if we took far cry 3 and just doubled down on everything and just made it better hmm. it's like hey all those outposts you can fight through kind of sucks you can only do them once so why not make them replayable and there's online leaderboards about how many points you can get and whatnot uh oh that wingsuit you got at the end of far cry 2 was rad uh, far cry 3 was rad what if you just started off with it mm -hmm. or boy that Co-op multiplayer was terrible. Oh, I didn't even mention the co-op multiplayer <laughs> in Far Cry 3. It actually has its own bespoke campaign that takes place six months afterwards. I wonder why I didn't mention it. Just to look at my notes. Oh, because it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. Oh, they just want to kill a boat captain, and then they do, and then they leave. None of the characters show up cool. in it. And those characters cool. are never mentioned again. Oh, okay. Sounds good. They decide that sucked, so they're going to make a better one. And they're hmm. going to directly integrate it into the campaign. The second player has to play as Herc. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, yeah, like, it's just... You combine that with just the game looking better and having a map that's honestly a little bit more interesting because it mm -hmm. takes place in a Nepalese-inspired country called Kyriet. Uh, basically, it's, since it's a mountainous country, there's a lot more verticality to it, so you have a grappling hook now, and you can mm. just, you know, basically, like, climb mountains and do stuff like that. It ends up being like a really, really cool game as far as like a gameplay perspective. Mm -hmm. Something that, admittedly, if you were to play it right after Far Cry 3, probably wouldn't hit that hard, which right. two years after Far Cry 3, it kind of didn't. Yeah, and I think that's what ultimately kind of undercut it was the jump from Far Cry 1 to Far Cry 2 to 3 is such a massive shift each time that when 4 came out, people were like, oh, this is just kind of 3 again. Mm hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like, yeah, it's it, it doesn't hit as hard. But since it seems like, though, they learned with all these lessons that they learned, 
like they were able to make a game that's just more consistently great. Mm-hmm. And one other thing they learned is that maybe we shouldn't kill our villain halfway through. Wow. <laughs> right? And so they decided to create a villain that's going to hang around you for a lot longer than that. A villain by the name of Pagan Min. Alex, Pagan Min is maybe the best villain in Far Cry by virtue hmm. of the team not killing him halfway through the game. You just get <laughs> more of him. Yeah, that does help. That helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the interactions you have with him throughout the game, as well as his relationship with the main character, Ajay Gale, is both intriguing and honestly well done. Like, mm. The team also made a conscientious effort to link the games with previous entries in the series, uh, like not continuing necessarily any particular plot threads that aren't related to Herc, but characters like, well, yeah, I have your written characters from Far Cry 3 show up, aka Herc, but they mm. also make pointed references to Far Cry 2. Like, there's a character who actually shows up who uh, looks very similar to one of the warlords that gives you a mission. Mm. But he's like, yeah, I'm from the UAC. I took a bull in the head and now I am religious. I believe in God and the greatness of him. And the fact that he gives us guns to use. <laughs> he's great, actually. I like him. Yeah, uh, yeah it, overall, it's just a solid story. Like, it's not perfect. I'm not going to sit here and say it's the best written story ever. Right. But given what we've been dealing with up to this point... I'm going to take it. <laughs> it's Fair, a, yeah. It's competent. Mm. That's really the story of Far Cry 4. Far Cry 4 is competent. <laughs> mm. Exceedingly so. So let's talk about the plot of Far Cry 4. So the game starts with our protagonist, 26-year-old Ajay Gale, trying to fulfill his mother's dying wish to take her ashes and spread them at Lakshimana in their home country of Kiryat. Now... She doesn't tell Ajay what Lakshyama is, so he's going to have to kind of find that out when he gets to Kiria, but uh, he's going to go and do so anyways. He loves his mom. He's going to make this mm-hmm. happen. Bad news is that Kiryat is an autocratic dictatorship that the U.S. State Department is like, hey, listen, uh, we don't want American citizens going there. Please don't do that. I mean, if you want to, you free country, you can do what you want, but we suggest not doing that. And Ajay goes, it'll be fine. So he sneaks into the country on the bus, only for said bus to be stopped by Kiryat's royal guard, who immediately shoot at the bus, killing practically everyone except for Ajay. That's when a helicopter lands and outsteps the real main character and leader of Kiryat, Hagen Min. I distinctly remember saying, stop the bus. Yes, stop the bus. Stop. Shoot the bus. I'm very particular with my words. Pagan Min announces his presence by immediately questioning the captain in charge, asking why he didn't just stop the bus. He's like, I'm very particular with my words. Stop. Shoot. Stop. Shoot. <laughs> Do these words sound similar? <laughs> <laughs> and like the soldier's like, I... He's like, uh, got out of control. He's like, oh, got out of control. Pulls out a pen, stabs him in the neck, drags him to the ground, stabs him to death. Complains about getting blood on his shoes, blood on his face. Looks over at Ajay and says, oh, my boy, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, good. Very strong opening. Also, just the fact that the autocratic dictator monarch of the country Mm -hmm. just shows up places. Just like. Oh, uh, look, a bus is being stopped. Land my helicopter there. <laughs> right? Great. Awesome. 
it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I believe later it is implied that Pagan knew that Ajay was about to enter the country, and he's like, I gotta, I gotta go see him. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, it does make it seem like he's just like flying around a helicopter. He's like, no, that looks fun. Let's go check that out. <laughs> so he's like, my boy, you're about to be the guest of honor. I'm sorry about all this mess. Um, we have a party waiting for you. Uh, we're going to have a hell of a time. A sack is then put over Ajay Gale's head. And then you see, the, you see Far Cry 4 splash onto the screen. Strong opening. Mm-hmm. So... You then immediately cut to Paganman's villa, and he's like, you know, talking with his lieutenants, being all jokey. He's like, okay, well, you know, take take that sack off his head. And so they they do, and he's like, this is a nice, you know, feast in front of him, and like, he's like, oh yeah, uh, sorry about this. Once again, didn't really want how this to go. I kind of wanted you to just have like a nice dinner, hang out, we could talk a little bit. No, because you know it's been a long time. Oh, you don't you don't really remember me, huh? Like he does this like funny thing where he pulls mm-hmm. out all the money and like has pictures of him on his face of his face on there. He's like, it look familiar at all? Mm-hmm. No, your mom never told me about you. Okay, cool, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he's like, it, it's really good. Oh man, the, the mm-hmm. opening two cutscenes in this game are so good. Eventually though, he gets a phone call and he's like, Ajay, stay here. You gotta go take this. I'll be right back. And so Ajay immediately escapes. Right. <laughs> And he's picked up by the country's resistance group, the Golden Dawn, and he meets the leaders, Sabal and Amida. So, Sabal is a 36-year-old man who's a huge fan of Ajay's dad, Mohan Gale. So it turns out Ajay's sort of royalty in a way. Mohan hmm. Gale was a, um, a revolutionary who fought alongside a royalist uh, in the first Kyriat civil war against the nationalist. Um, he had teamed up with Pagan Min to help overthrow the government, but then after uh, Pagan betrayed them, he formed the Golden Dawn to fight against him. Unfortunately, Mohan got killed at some point, and because of that, the Golden Dawn splintered until Sabal picked up the pieces later. So he absolutely idolizes Mohan Gale, and he is a strong traditionalist who believes in the old ways that must be respected. And by old ways, he means religious studies instead of school, and child brides are A-OK. Uh-huh. Now, this is contrasted by Amita, who is Sabal's polar opposite. She's a 25-year-old woman who believes the only way Kyriat can move forward is by leaving behind tradition. She's a protector of a young 13-year-old girl named Badra, who is considered to be the living embodiment of the goddess Kira. Uh, Amita believes the progress is the only way forward and that people like Badra shouldn't be like have such like duties foisted upon them and now what she means by progress though is that she wants to turn Kyriat into a narco state and murder her enemies right okay there it is yep it doesn't take long before you think maybe pagan men is best for the country (laughs) (laughs) and like they are sort of like cartoon characters in a way, like, because mm-hmm. they're pretty, they argue amongst each other and they're accusing each other of the various things they want to do and they will outright not deny it. Like, Amir uh-huh. will accuse Sabal of wanting to marry Badra and he's like, I'm not going to confirm nor deny this because <laughs> Mohan Gali married a 13-year-old who was Ajay's mom and that was cool. Uh, uh-huh. And he's like, but you want to throw drugs to sell them. She's like, yeah, drugs are cool. They'll make a lot of money. So, yeah, it's very much like, oh, you're just being outright with this. All right, cool. Okay, yeah. Now, 
Regardless, Ajay agrees to help the Golden Dawn fight against pagan men, and soon proves himself to be capable, helping to slowly liberate the country from pagans' forces. Now, during this time, Pagan is shockingly chill about all this. Like, after Ajay will kill one of his, like, major lieutenants and whatnot, he'll, like, call him and be like, man, yeah, you killed him. Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about him. Yeah, he was kind of a <laughs> dick, though. But, man, I saw how you blew up that bait. That was real good. Real stylish. <laughs> like, it's usually, like, in a slightly mocking tone, but occasionally he'll just call and, like, see what he's up to. Like, there's one time, like, you're just driving, and, like, he'll just give Ajay a call and be like, Hey, Ajay, how you doing? He's like, what do you want? He's like, oh, I just want to hear, just want to hear your voice. Anyways, bye. <laughs> real good. It's real good. So, long story short, eventually most of the country is freed from Pagan and Sabal. And, oh, it's eventually freed from Pagan. And Sabal and Amida decide that the other needs to die. They're like, listen, uh, yeah, we, sure. this organization can't be split. They've gone too far. You got to kill one of them, man. So Sabal pleads his case that uh, Amida wants to flood the country of drugs. Amida claims Sabal wants to marry Badra, which he doesn't really deny once again. Mm-hmm. So honestly, Amida's probably right in this situation. Regardless, one of them is either killed or exiled, and Ajay storms Pagan's compound and meets with the man himself, who invites him to dinner. And here, Pagan lays everything out. So let's talk about Pagan Min. He's a 48-year-old Chinese national from Hong Kong, who grew up in a powerful triad family. One day, after his father made fun of him for being flamboyant, he killed him and seized control of his organization, waging war against the other triad gangs. Eventually, though, he got tired of this and, alongside his top lieutenants, realized he's probably going to die one day if he keeps this up. So he decided essentially he's going to make Kiryat his retirement home. And so he settled his debts, went to Kiryat, helped the rebellion out and teamed up with Mohan Gali, in order to overthrow it. So, after all this, like, Pagan and Mohan hit it off, uh, but eventually Pagan, like, betrays him, seizes power, which caused Mohan to create the Golden Dawn. Now, in order to spy on Pagan men, Mohan sent Ishwari to spy on Pagan. Ishwari, once again, being Ajay's mom. Mm -hmm. However, Mohan, as it turns out, is an abusive jerk who really believes that women only exist to make babies and should learn things and all this sort of stuff. He's a very strong traditionalist. Mm-hmm. And Ishwari kind of fell in love with Pagan, since Pagan was actually kind of a nice guy to her. Mm. And so at this point, Ajay has already been born, by the way. Okay. But she gets pregnant with Pagan Min's child, and this child is Lakshmana. Once Mohan finds out the parentage, he murders that child, and in turn, Ishwari murders Mohan, who then takes Ajay to America. Mm. So her last wish is for ashes to be laid to rest next to her murdered daughter, who's Ajay's half-sister that he never knew about, nor was even told about when Ishwari was dying. Kind of a dick move on her part. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Like, I get not wanting to talk about the past, but I would maybe want to give him heads up. It's like, hey, listen, uh, when you edge the country, there's this <laughs> dude uh, who's, I guess, kind of sort of your stepfather, who's kind of a murderous jerk. Um, also the king. Yeah, also the king. Also, if you want to know where to actually put my ashes, it's not like a mound or something. It's it's next to the it's next to my your dead half sister you never knew about. Like a yeah, little heads up would have been nice. It's just what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. I'm going to assume this whole thing was said in, like, the delirium of dying. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know what? That's that's good. It sounds actually a lot she, better. She probably didn't even actually want him to do this. Probably not, but Ajay was just like, well, yeah, I guess I should. I loved my mom. Yep. Anyways, that's why Pig and Man has been totally cool this whole game with Ajay just dismantling his empire. Because honestly, his entire plan was to retire a second time, just let Ajay run things. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, I honestly, I think of you like a son. You want to I, I was going to just teach you the ropes, but you've clearly showed you know what you're doing. So I can't teach you a thing. You're already set. Uh, I suggest killing the other leader of the Golden Dawn. Mm, probably smart. Trouble. Yeah. And um, you ever need anything? You can phone me up. But otherwise, I'm going to get on this helicopter and fly away. Now, before he does that, he does take him to Lakshmana Shrine, which he explains he's, hey, listen, I've only entered this once. And when I entered, I entered a sane man. And then, well, I came out like this. Ah. Uh. And so he does that. They set the ashes next there. They pray in front of it. And then he leaves. Uh, you can at that time, like, run inside, grab a rocket launcher and blow it up if you want to, uh, which <laughs> is what I did. But, but regardless, Ajay then goes to the remaining leader of the Golden Dawn, who's immediately rounding up their enemies for execution. Mm. If, it's a, if it's a ball, it extends to a full-on ethnic cleansing. If it's a Mita, she goes, she implies that she murdered Badra. Uh, so her, the, okay. the traditionalist faction can't rally around her, uh, as well as her enemies. Regardless, Ajay has the opportunity to kill them now or walk away. It, and regardless, it's unknown if he sees his power or not. Mm. And that's Far Cry 4. I really like Far Cry 4's story. Yeah, it's competent. It works well. Mm -hmm. And I really like Pagan Min in general. Like I like mm -hmm. I like it at the end when he explains everything and like takes you to like your dead half sister and whatnot and is like clearly like broken up about it. Like I like his relationship with Ajay an awful lot. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's just like, man, I just kind of want to be the dad you never had. And also who's like yeah, murderous. He's like interesting, whereas Vaz was a lot of fun, but mm -hmm. he's just an evil dude at the end of the day. He is, yeah. He just fun, acted very dude. well. Yeah, totally, totally. He's a fully fleshed out character, which is why I'm like, I, he might actually secretly be the best, best of them all. Yeah, maybe. And yeah, you combine that with just like a kind of a stellar game. It ends up being, it ends up being the total package that Far Cry Three wasn't. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so. Ended up being an excellent, excellent video game. And so, yeah, with that, Far Cry f is in, like, a really good position. Like, they've shown that they can now write competent stories. They have a good base that they continue expanding off of as far as gameplay is, gameplay-wise. Now, all they need to do is just continue to make sequels that are interesting and excellent. But as we're going to see next time, uh, they're going to immediately start stumbling again. As we talk about the last two entries in the Far Cry series, Far Cry 5, which... Oh, boy. And Far Cry 6, which is fine. But that, once again, is going to be for next time. Alex, how are you feeling? I feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like, this is definitely the high point of the Far Cry series, by far. And, like... And like they're, they're not only is like the high point, but they're also interesting games in their own right. Like, like each one of them like narratively tries to do something a little different. I'll mm -hmm. um, be Far Cry Four is more of an expansion of threes, but yeah, it it ends up 
making it so that they do feel distinct enough that it's interesting to talk about them individually. And especially with Far Cry 4, it's just nice to have a story where there isn't any major missteps. Like, sure, maybe like the Golden Dawn are sometimes cartoon characters and their villainy, but like it, it still ends up working out overall. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, when we get to Far Cry 5, it's going to be very interesting to see how they flub that up. Yeah, a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. But yeah, Alex, do you have any final thoughts before we go? The only thing I can think of is that in Far Cry 3, there's a mission where you can go into like some ruins in the jungle. Mm-hmm. It's like some ruins of an old lab. And there's the logo of a company from the Assassin's Creed. Oh, yeah. Game. And, man, you just can't make references on the internet like that because everyone goes, what does that mean? <laughs> and the answer is nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Shut up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ubisoft is, that's actually a, a bit of an interesting aside. Ubisoft is mm. really weird about that. Not only by yeah. referencing, like, sometimes major story beats in other games, Mm-hmm. But also doing this really strange thing where they'll reference themselves in their own games and like yeah. make them part of the plot. Like that time that Ubisoft was a major plot point in Assassin's Creed 4. Yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. and like it shows up in like watchdogs alongside like <laughs> Stergro and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Or like the documentary team that goes out to interview Voss in Far Cry 3. It's strange because it, like it's one. It's, on one hand, it's very intriguing because yeah, it's like oh man, it's like a connected web between all these games. Right, where oh, Sam, they're all they're all the same. Yeah, where's Sam Fisher? And it's like oh, maybe this actually is a bad idea because yeah, they all have towers and they all have the same concepts in them. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't yeah, do this actually. Starts to highlight how they're all kind of the same game. Yeah, and how everyone looked at Ghost Recon Wildlands and it was like, oh wow, they're rebooting Ghost Recon. Oh, it's it's Far Cry. It's Far Cry. No. It's, it's Assassin's Far Cry. Star Blank. This time the tower is a drone. Wow. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's another reason why I like Far Cry too so much. Mm. Is that it's not a handhold game. Just yeah. Don't, oh don't, no. Going back to that, it's a game that actively puts barriers in front of the player, and I swear, I think video games need that more often. I think that's the reason Probably, why Ubisoft yeah. games, if like, I soured on them so hard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe that's... that's it, it also reminds me of uh, roughly around like 2012 or whenever it was that they they did another big push of Tom Clancy games, mm-hmm. but they were all in the same universe. So, like, your Ghost Recon shared HUD elements with your Rainbow Sixes oh, and yeah. your Hawkses. And all that finally culminated in End War, the real-time strategy game that let you command military forces, including Ghost Recons and fighter jets, and that game was bad. Right, they did do End War. And oh, then man. Tom Clancy went away for a little while. <laughs> yes, he did. Because <laughs> it was essentially, hey, what if Avengers was bad? <laughs> You'd be like, oh, well, then Marvel would die. You've done that a couple of times where they've been like, yeah, you got all your favorite Ubisoft franchise all under one game. Yeah. Like some mobile title that's just like, oh, it's a bad game. Okay. <laughs> See you next time. 
Yeah, you, you gave it a shot, but you don't have the back catalog for it. Unfortunately, Military Man is looks the same in all of them. It doesn't work, yeah. man. No amount of Aiden Pierce is going to solve this. Oh, God. He has an iconic hat, but... um. He did not. Remember when everyone was like, Aiden Pierce is the new Assassin's Creed man. <laughs> and they were like, nah. Nah. Not at all. We're not going to do that. Remember when you could buy his iconic hat for a hundred bucks on the Ubisoft? Yeah. Store? Yeah, as a pre-order to the first game when no one knew who the hell that was. I guess Jack was 500 bucks. God. Oh, man. We got to talk about Watch Dogs one day. Oh, uh, man. Oh, Watch Dogs. Oh, what happened, dude? It had a really good second game. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> many people say that. Yeah, many people say that. I don't know if I'll ever play it, but many people say it. Yep. But yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. Alex, appreciate you joining me as always. Of course. And if you like more episodes like this, you should go to Fallen... Uh, you should check us out at ftp.podbean.com our search for Fallen Through Plot Holes or FTP on your podcast service of choice. Uh, always leave us a like and a review. I do appreciate that. Good to know if we're doing well or not. But with that, take care, everybody. Take care.